Hey y'all, welcome to my podcast, Broken to Breathtaking. I'm your host, Alicia Olson, and in this podcast, I teach you all about healthy relationships, healing from trauma, and supporting loved ones through abuse and mental illness, all with a faith-based focus. The goal of this podcast is to help you and your loved ones live a more meaningful, exciting life, because that is possible. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing a big question. Why do victims stay or go back to abusive relationships? If this is something that you're interested in learning about, feel free to keep listening. And if, as always, if you have any questions, please email me at brokenbreathtaking at gmail.com. You can let me know if there's any other discuss- topics that you'd like me to discuss. And let's get into it. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. It is so good to be here. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a heavier topic. We are going to be discussing why victims stay or go back to abusive relationships. And while I was researching for this, it did bring up to kind of draw a line and and determining the difference between a toxic and an abusive relationship. And so a toxic is one that it doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is bad. It just may not be an ideal relationship. And it, it like as the best way to know that it's a toxic relationship is just that it doesn't bring you light or it causes you an unnecessary amount of suffering which is this which is true for abusive relationships as well but an abuse takes it even a step further than just toxic where you don't feel safe and that's kind of the the line that we're going to draw here. So what we're talking about today is abusive relationships. Now, toxic relationships you should also distance yourself from, but it's not something that you have to like and make the police report, you know, all these things. It's just not healthy and you ju- you can just distance yourself from those. But abusive relationships are something that need to be completely severed and moved on from. And the problem is that's a lot easier said than done. And it's really hard for people who haven't experienced an abusive relationship to understand why does my sister, my cousin, my mom, my aunt, my good friend, my brother, my uncle keep going back? Or why are they not leaving? Now, while I was researching this, I came up with a lot of resources on why particularly domestic violence victims stay all of them centered around female domestic violence victims and male perpetrators. Now, it's so great, I'm so glad that we have, it's not great that it happens, but I'm so grateful that we have so much information on that. But in this episode, I really wanna talk more about my experience and the people who will be experiencing something more similar to mine, which is a little outside of the norm. So this is a male victim. This is a queer relationship. This is someone who was abused by a girl or a woman or someone who is non-gender bi- is non-binary. Something that's just outside of the norm. In my case, I was abused and assaulted by two different girls at different times. And so I want to speak more for that audience since there are so many voices for the domestic violence audience. I want to speak more to those who don't have as much of a voice right now and who we don't know as much about because I really want to spread awareness about this particular issue. Now, a lot of the reasons for staying are similar. I'm just going to put the spin on it for an experience more like my own as opposed to what is typically normal. So let's get into it. And I want to put out, actually, I want to put out a trigger warning real quick too. 
I will let you know when I'm about to tell a story. I'm going to try not to say anything graphic, and I'm going to try to to keep it... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try not to say anything graphic or too triggering, but if this is something that you're currently experiencing, please listen with uh, caution so that I, I don't want to trigger anybody or make it hard. Sometimes that is part of the healing process, but you you know your limits better than I do, so just... Be cautious going forward, and I'll let you know if I'm about to tell a story that could be triggering. All right, let's get into it. So, number one, I was listening to a TED Talk, and I'll put that down below. I don't remember the name of the lady or the name of the title, the the talk, off the top of my head, but she was telling her story specifically related to domestic violence, and I thought that she brought up an interesting point about why victims stay. And her point was that they don't even realize that they are a victim. I want to let that sink in. They don't even realize that they are a victim. I thought this was really interesting because I could see how this applies not just to me, but many other people I know who have been abused or been assaulted or been in some kind of toxic relationship. There could be several reasons why you don't, they, we don't realize that you're, you're being abused, right? And one of those reasons could simply be like, you just don't think of yourself that way. You've never thought of yourself as somebody who could be abused. You're just like, well, I know I'm strong, independent, I'm, you know, all these things, I'm successful, whatever the case may be, or I have a loving family. In my case, my abusers teamed up on me, I think in large part because I have a good family and they felt like they didn't and they were jealous of me for that. So you don't think of yourself as being someone who could be abused. It just doesn't cross your mind. Now, I think an even more essential point to this too is especially in situations in which emotional abuse and gaslighting are present, it's incredibly difficult to discern that abuse is even happening until it gets really bad and until the damage has already been done. And I'm going to talk in depth about what emotional abuse looks like, what gaslighting looks like, what verbal abuse looks like, what all of those things look like. In a future episode, we're going to do a series so that I, where I go in depth about physical, emotional, verbal, sexual abuse and different ones in each, a different one in each episode so that we can really delve into what does this look like? Is this happening to me? Is this happening to somebody that I know or care about? But when emotional abuse and gaslighting are happening, you don't even realize that you're being abused until it's too late. And by that point, there's a trauma bond that's been formed, and that's another thing we'll talk about in the future. But by that point, there's already a trauma bond, which is why I think it's really important. If you are go, if you do feel uncomfortable, unsafe, unhappy in a relationship, or some things that you notice that maybe aren't quite what aren't quite safe, or if you know someone who's going through that, please tune into my future episode about emotional abuse where we really delve into that because I want you to be aware of what that looks like so that you can protect yourself and protect your friends and protect your family from experiencing something so horrible or get them out of it if that's currently happening. Okay, the second reason that an abuse victim will stay is that they're afraid of the repercussions. This can look like being killed and sometimes that is a very real threat, a very terrifying threat to the victim where the perpetrator has been saying that they could or will kill them in some way shape or form trigger warning in my case my abusers told me frequent convinced me frequently that they were possessed 
and that if I did anything that they didn't like, that the demons would come and murder my family. Things like that. And I was terrified of that actually happening. And I could see it happening, and I could, even towards the end of the relationship, I believe that if I had stayed friends with Akiko specifically, and I, if my family had not been told by the spirit to move when we did, that I fully believe that she could have killed me. So that is a very real danger. In fact, statistically speaking, more often than not, the when a victim is murdered by their abuser, particularly in domestic violence situations, it is after they tried to leave or threatened to leave. So this is one of those situations you really want to be smart and careful about, but there are resources for people who are struggling with this currently, and I'll try and connect you with those in the future if you would like. So that's something to be very aware of. If you know someone who is in this really bad relationship, to be aware that, okay, they're scared. And there's a very real threat here, most likely. So we need to be smart about how we go about this. Um, this, uh, this afraid of repercussions, though, can also even just be a fear of being alone. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a little bit, but often there's a lot of, uh, often there's some emotional difficulties already going on, especially after going through abuse for a long time. So it could be a fear of being alone or not knowing what's going to come next. And, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. So number three, they're clinging to the good times and clinging to the honeymoon phase. And I think we're going to talk more in depth about this as well, about the abuse cycle and what that looks like. But essentially, there are four stages in the abuse cycle, and one of them, the first one, is the honeymoon phase. This is love bombing. This is coming in and being like, you are the most, this is when the abuser comes in and is like, you're the most amazing person, you've saved my life, you've done all these things for me, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're beautiful, you're great you're handsome, you're wonderful, and they love bomb. So when the bad times happen, the the victim will go back to thinking of that. And they'll be desperately fighting for trying to get that back. And that's the main one of the main reasons I didn't leave was because I was so desperately trying to reaccess the good times and bring those back because they were wonderful and fun and I have a lot of really amazing beautiful memories with my abusers. Okay, number 4. This is a huge one in any abusive relationship. And this is where it gets really hard with some cuz it's the whole quote hurt people hurt people, but that doesn't excuse it. Right? And so a lot of the time the abuser is actually struggling with someone and unfortunately I've noticed there's a pretty common thread with some form of depression being present and also being an abusive person, or also a lot, of, I mean, statistically accurate that a lot of abusers were abused in the past, but that does not ever excuse it, the behavior, because you're still choosing to be that way, right? That is your choice. I don't care if it happened to you in the past. I mean, obviously I care because that's so sad, but you're still choosing to do those things. So you are responsible for your own actions. However, this leads itself into number four, which is that the victim believes that they can change or that they, that they can change or save the abuser. 
this was a huge one for me as well where I love the song I'm Not Your Savior by Beth Crowley that one hit me so hard when I was coming out of my relationship with Akiko friendship we were never dating but my friendship with Akiko but it's so true it is not your job to save anybody you are not the one who changes people I'm sorry to say it I know this may be like hard hitting for some of you it was for me but it's true your job is to bring people to the savior and there's a point where you have to step away okay once it starts getting toxic for you even toxic not even abusive once it starts getting toxic for you you need to step away because that's that's past your you, you've done your job at this point all right you can't force people to change you can't force people to come to christ and you are not the one who saves people which hopefully is a kind of a oh, a freeing thing to realize I, it's not my job to save them. For so long, I was desperately trying to fix Akiko and save her and help her come to Christ and help her get a testimony and help her because I knew that this would change her life, that if she would just do these things, if she would just stop making these bad choices, then she would be happy because she was not happy. But I knew if she was doing these things, then she could be. But she would never do it. So then I started to blame myself. And then it just lended itself to more abuse. So you are not the savior. Stop trying to do Christ's job. Okay, he's already done it. And it's going to work out how it needs to. Eventually, right? Eventually, they might come to a place where they're willing to accept him. But not right now. And if they're not ready, that's okay. It's not your job to change that. It's not in your wheelhouse. Stay in your own lane. And likewise, if you have somebody who is struggling with abuse, you're going to want to be like to just come in and force them out of the relationship. But because of some of these things I'm talking about now and because of the trauma bond that is established, especially if this person is your child, it might be a lot harder than you realize. And if you would like me to go more in depth on, on that and how to help somebody out of an abusive relationship, feel free to message me. And I can talk about that in a future episode and about my experience. There was nothing my parents could have done other than taking my phone. And I would have fought them about it because I was addicted to the abuse. And so there was nothing they really could have done. At that point, like I had to go through it and I had to come to the conclusion on my own that I needed to leave. But there are some instances where you need to get in and get them out. But hopefully they'll just come to the conclusion on their own that I'm not happy, I don't like this, I don't want to do this anymore, this is getting really dangerous for me, I need to leave. But yeah, they believe that they can change or save the abuser. Okay, number five, damaged self-worth. Ooh, this can look like a lot of different things. Um, and this damaged self-worth can be prior to or from the abuse itself. Okay, and this can look like Feeling like they deserved deserve to be abused. Feeling like it's their fault. This happens a lot in emotional abuse. Feeling like they deserve to be abused. Like it's their fault. Like they're somehow a bad person. That they're, they're vile and disgusting and no one could possibly love them after this. And so many other things. All right. And that damaged self-worth is what lends itself to such the fear of repercussions, such as the fear of being alone, the fear of being cast out, the fear of people... Um, not loving them anymore after they learn about this. So it's really important if you know someone who's struggling with an abusive relationship that you make it very clear in the way that they're going to understand, right? By filling their love bucket, 
based off their personal love language that you love them and you will never judge them even if you don't support the actions that they're taking you can still love and support the person themselves which I think is an important distinction we need to make more in our society but you can support the person without supporting the action and you can love and support an abuse victim right okay so that diamond self-worth does play a huge huge role in abuse and in keeping the victim in place hence why the abuser will continue to damage their self-worth continue to gaslight them continue to emotionally abuse them to keep them in place okay number six they've established a trauma bond now I had never heard of this before until I started researching after I left Akiko but trauma bonds are so powerful and I'm gonna dedicate a whole episode to trauma bonds but essentially what a trauma bond is is that after going through this abuse cycle over and over and over and over again after being loved bombed and then abused and then love bombed and then abused and never really resolving anything just kind of moving on from it and pretending it didn't exist and shoving it down you form this bond to the abuser and it's almost like an addiction to the abuse so example story time trigger warning and some for some of you for me a lot of the abuse occurred over text and not all of it but a lot of it did the emotional psychological abuse happened over text so I could not leave my phone I had my phone everywhere I could not put it down I was constantly waiting for a text and I was in a constant state of incredibly high stress because I knew if my parents saw the messages that were being sent I mean I would, I would delete the messages immediately after they were sent we started using snapchat so it'd be harder to trace but I would delete them because I was so terrified of my parents finding the messages and seeing what was going on and thinking I was a bad person, thinking they were a bad person, or worse yet, taking me out of the situation. And because I was addicted and I was like, no, I have to stay so, stay so that I can help them. I have to stay so that nothing bad happens to these people that I care about. I have to stay so that, because because I of the good times, I love these good things that have happened. I love these people that they've they've connected me with and I wanna keep that. I wanna hold on to that, but I can only have that with them. So you can't take me away from them because it'll take me away from that. That's how I was thinking. And so anytime my dad would take away my phone, end of the world, and I would fight and I would cry and I would, I would manipulate until I got my phone back and usually I got it back pretty quickly. But it's true, so the trauma bonds are powerful. After I left Akiko and Cali, it was so hard not to go back because I had this draw that I needed to go back right then and it was it really was an addiction it really was and it was this I mean this trauma bond was so powerful that PTSD aside right the trauma bond alone after I left Akiko and Cali brought me to self-harm and self-harm ideation because I it was so hard not to go back and I was in this constant state of stress and paranoia and fear and it got worse after I left before it got better and I'm gonna point that out to y'all at the very end because I want you to listen at least to the very end of this episode because it's so important to hear okay but that's that's how powerful trauma bonds are so we'll, we'll go into trauma bonds in a future episode to describe more of what that looks like and how that works and how that develops but number seven they don't believe that leaving is even possible 
So they don't know where to go. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know. And, and a lot of the times when you're in the midst of it, it really doesn't seem possible. I mean, really for me, I believed so strongly that if I left, then this person was going to die and this person was going to die and this person was going to die and it was going to be all my fault. Or, or Akiko and Callie were going to commit suicide and it was going to be my fault. That's genuinely what I believed. That is abuse. If someone is telling you that they're going to kill themselves without you, then that is abuse and you should just leave. That sounds terrible, but you should just leave. Because guess what? They didn't even do it. And if they did, it wouldn't be your fault. It was their choice. It's not your fault. Okay? But that's the difficulty. They don't believe that leaving is even possible. If they even realize that they're a victim at all, they don't think that leaving the situation is even a possibility. Perhaps the perhaps the abuser are the parents or a family member. Perhaps the abuser is you know, a, a close friend that, and it, and it just doesn't seem, and the rest of everybody thinks that this is a great person. Why would you ever do anything? And then it seems like maybe you'll be the toxic one if you leave. Well, it's not, it, that's worth it, guys. It's worth other people thinking that you're the bad guy for, if you, as long as you're safe, as long as you're not being tormented mentally by this person anymore. Okay. But sometimes that's just this problem. They just, they don't believe it's even possible. So number eight, fear is a big part of this. Here's another fear one. Afraid that no one will believe or support them. I really wanted to bring this one up because this one is so prevalent for people who have suffered, I mean, any kind of abuse, but specifically the, the ones that are kind of quote, out of the norm, such as what I went through and quite possibly what many of you listening have gone through some kind of uh, an abuse that was done by a, a someone of the same gender or from the LGBTQ community or from whatever else. Now, that's not to say that everybody in that community is bad. There are plenty of wonderful, amazing people in that community. But to say that they're all wonderful and amazing would be a lie. Statistically, actually, there are higher rates of abuse in lesbian and bisexual relationships than there are in heterosexual relationships, as said by the CDC it's really easy to lose track of all of the victims who were abused or suffered at the hands of a relationship of this kind. Now for me, I was, I'm straight. I'm still straight. I wasn't, it wasn't was, I'm still straight, but I was abused by two girls. And so it's really easy for people to be like, to not, to not believe me. And this is what I would get all the time. And I mentioned this in my first episode is people will ask me, how is that even possible? All the time. I get it all the time. And I'm like, do you want me to explain the logistics to you? (laughs) Like, do you really want me to describe the graphics of exactly how it went down? It's assault whether there's a a male private part or not, okay? It's still assault. It's still molestation. It's still harassment. It's still whatever else it was. And sometimes it's really hard to talk about for fear of backlash, for fear of people not supporting, for fear for fear of people not believing you. And the belief, that applies to, the, to all different, that applies to domestic violence relationships, that applies to straight heterosexual, you know, heterosexual relationships, that applies to all relationships, this fear that people won't believe you. That's why raising awareness, particularly about this particular issue is so important. We've done an amazing job of raising awareness about domestic violence and sexual assault as perpetrated by men. Now we just need to expand our horizons to realize that it's not just females being assaulted and it's not just men who are being the perpetrators. It goes every which way. 
So I think, and so we've made a lot of amazing progress. Now let's further that progress and expand it. Now, I do want to emphasize that there are more good people in this world than bad, and that most people have the desire to do good and to be good people and to be their come become their best self. So it does not matter how somebody identifies. There's they can still be an absolutely wonderful, amazing person who's striving to be their best self. Okay. But this is a common thing for abuse victims of all kinds to feel like people aren't going to believe them or aren't going to support them, especially male victims. I can't tell you how many things I've seen where people, and we're starting to go out of this a little bit as more awareness is raised, but I can't tell you how many things I've seen where a man was assaulted by a woman and he got so much backlash or he gets blamed for being the perpetrator or people ask him like well how's that possible da, 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 da. and it's like he just suffered something so horrible and if you changed the pronouns of what just happened you would be disgusted and the, per the perpetrator would be in jail so this is a very real issue but that's why it's so important to raise awareness and to support survivors and to encourage honesty in it, but also to support survivors from all different races, all different backgrounds, all different religious groups, all different sexualities. Number nine. So the last one that I have on the list here is family experiences or expectations. If there's past trauma, past abuse, it's a lot easier to fall into another abusive relationship. So like if a family member was abusive, it's really easy to fall into a, ram a relationship that's abusive when you're dating. That's just a very common. It's, that's why it's so important to change the mindset, change the beliefs, and really do that healing. Work through your healing process so that you stop being attracted to those relationships. You stop doing what's normal and what's familiar to you, and you move on to something that is unfamiliar but safe and happy and wonderful. Brief example, a short example. This one shouldn't be so triggering, but essentially. This was one of the big issues for me. I kept falling in with toxic friends, and some of them were abusive, some of them were just toxic. But this was my pattern. I was always with toxic friends, which let, let me believe for a little while that, am I the toxic one? But I realized after I'd done a lot of work that I, it wasn't necessarily that I was toxic, it was that I was attracted to toxic relationships because that's all I had ever known. So I sought those out without even realizing it, and those people found me and sought me out. Because they're like, oh, She's easily manipulated. Let's let's go on her, right? But once I broke that pattern, I had to consciously make the choice, okay, I'm done being friends with like having a friend group that's a, a, a trio because I always end up being the secondary best friend, first of all. So we're done with that. And I'm done only being friends with girls. I'm gonna expand my horizons and be friends with guys too. And I had to actively be like, no more only seeking out the quiet, edgy type people for me because that's what I had always done. I'm going to start befriending the happy, loud, positive people instead and that has completely changed my life because those were the people for me that were the most uplifting and that have affected my life positively the most. But I had to actively go in and sever that tie and to be like, I'm done doing the same, repeating the same patterns. I'm going to befriend someone else different from what I normally did and it was scary at first but it was so worth it. And then also like family expectations. With a narcissistic relationship or friendship maybe everybody else believes that this abuser is 
wonderful and amazing and perfect and there could be backlash if you were to leave them and blame put on the victim. So there are situations like that that does make it harder to leave. Whew, so that was a lot to say. Obviously there are more reasons for every single individual, but this is just kind of a broad idea of some of the things that that might be holding someone you love or yourself back from leaving an abusive relationship. I hope that this was helpful in kind of getting into the head of someone who was suffering through this awful experience. I wanted to end with this though. All right, if you are currently going through this, if you realized that you are in an abusive relationship, a toxic, a toxic friendship, or particularly an abusive relationship, right? And you're scared to leave. I will say this. It does get worse before it gets better. But if you stay, it's only going to get worse. All right? So whether you stay or go, it's going to get worse. When you leave, it gets worse before it gets better, but it does get better. This is going to be one of the most difficult and terrifying things you'll ever do. Leaving is one of the hardest things. Leaving those that fr those friendships, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it got bad after I left. And I was in a con I mean I was already in a constant state of fear, but it was magnified by 10 because now I thought that I was going to be killed. All right? And healing is ugly and it's difficult. And it takes time. Healing is ugly at first. But on the other side of this, on the other side of the healing, once you've pushed through, there is so much beauty and freedom and light that this life and that Christ has to offer you. Right? On the other side of this difficulty, of this challenge, of this trial, of this fear, and hurt and betrayal and shame that you feel there is so much beauty and happiness and joy and freedom that is promised to you. You can have that. It just takes time and it takes work. It takes a consistent effort, but once you get there, you will be so grateful that you did it, regardless of how hard it was. And I promise that if you get the help that you need, if you push through and you keep working at it and you seek God and Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, I promise that you will heal. Right? You are capable. You are 110% capable of this. I believe in you. God believes in you. You can do this. With that, we are going to end today's episode. I hope that it was enlightening to all of you. If there's someone you know who maybe needs to hear that, please share it with them so that they can hear this message. This is something that needs to be shared. If you have any questions about anything I talked about today or there's something that you would like me to discuss in future episodes, please shoot me an email at brokentobreathtaking at gmail.com. I am more than happy to answer your questions to to help you think this through a little bit and to do my research in order to help you better, all right? Or to provide you with research and resources that you can use to do it yourself. That's even better, all right? But on the other side of tragedy is triumph. And through it all, Jesus Christ is walking it with you and you can find the light again. So have a wonderful week. 
thank you so much for tuning in and i'll see you in the next episode.